Darkness physically is a reality for many. They can't see the hand in front of their face. Darkness of soul is a reality for many who walk around in your world and my world that we may not even be able to distinguish from. But their, their darkness robs them of joy. And they cannot cope with the stresses and the strains of life. The darkness of the mind, though, is a work of Satan. Where he steals the truth and keeps the truth from us. The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Which leads to a darkness spiritually to where there's darkness between them and the truth and them and God. And that is the world in which many of us know people or live ourselves. And Satan likes to be perceived as darkness. But in reality, in reality, he is light. And that light is very deceptive. You may be seated. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, it says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Lucifer was the first name given to Satan, which means morning star. He may be light, but he is an artificial light at best. He is a light that... Um, that gives the appearance of normalcy. Again, we would, he would like us to just simply limit him to that red-tailed, pitchforked individual that is in the world and that we want to steer away from. But in reality, he does not come that way to us commoners. He comes to us as very articulate. He comes to us as, as very bright and very energetic and very persuasive. Very attractive and very smart. That's the way he comes to us. The Aleister Crowley hedonistic drug abuser kind of Satan that, again, he would like us to limit him in that kind of box, in that kind of frame of reference, is one that everyone in this room, I would hope, would be able to point out and say, that is darkness, that is wrong, that is evil, that is not of God, that is Satan. But I'm afraid in all of our churchianity, that we might get sucked in as believers to thinking that that is only the appearance that He comes in. And that we might miss Him living in our very homes. Sitting next to us in our churches. Working with us on our same teams. He is bright, He's articulate, He's energetic, He's persuasive, He's attractive, He's smart. But in that smartness and in an attraction that he has, he is also shrewd, deceptive, manipulative, egocentric, and deceives. And he comes with death at his very core. 
as His greatest aim of life. Jesus said in John 10.10 that He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And He'll take it in any form or fashion that He can. If He can kill your integrity, He'll start there. If He can steal your dreams, He will go there. If He can destroy your marriage, He will take it. I think in our Western world, we don't know what to do with the devil. We cartoon him. We, we, we put him off as, as something big or we, we, we make little of him or we make too much of him. I think there's, and, and Satan likes that confusion. The adversary likes the confusion. He likes the ambiguity that we can deal with. And in our Western world, we just don't know what to do with him. And there's two temptations that C.S. Lewis pointed out that really we can all end up in if we are not careful in how we deal with him. There are two ways. One way is to focus on him so much that we fear him. We live in a fear of him. That we live in this constant state of the devil's in the dandelions and the devil's in this and the devil's in that and the devil got me here and he tripped me up there and we can live literally in this constant state of fear. I think it was illustrated in the movie Waterboy to some degree if you've watched that movie. If we're not careful though, we can label everything the devil and, and end up giving him too much credit. This is what Mark Bubeck said in a great book called The Adversary. He said, giving credit to the enemy... When he is not involved, is the subtle way of giving him undeserved honor. What a statement. That we would give the devil undeserved honor by naming and claiming everything that bad happens in this world. And what happens is we end up living in fear. And here's a life principle for you. If you don't already know it, fear will always paralyze. And if Satan can paralyze us, he's got the victory in our life. But that's one temptation that we can, one way we can deal with the devil. But the second way is that, is that we can focus on him so little that we ignore him. And we can say, okay, that's just a, uh, fairy tales have gone by. This is the temptation that I face. Not to label him out as fairy tales, but just to ignore him, make too light of him, not see him as an intricate part in this world. And that can be as wrong as the other. Because if I ignore him, I can easily lump it all together as my problems or this and that and, and really ignore him and, and realize that he is there and he is influencing the situation of what's going on and call it what it is. But in this world, we don't like to think of the devil. We don't like to think of that sinister dark side. We, we, we want to believe in God. Barna did a study of 18, over 1,800 self-described Christians and found that 78% in this study, now this is interesting, 78% in this study believed in God, obviously if they're self-described Christians. They believed that He was an all-powerful, all-knowing Creator of the universe who rules the world today. I believe everybody in this room would raise their hand on that one. That that is God. That's the God that I know. That's the God that I honor. In this same survey, though, interesting thing goes on, that not all of them believe that He is real. In fact, only 40% in fact, 40% strongly felt that Satan was not a living being but was a symbol of evil. And only 26% of them in a, in a modern day survey believe that Satan was real. We want to believe in God, and that's all positive and good, but do we want to acknowledge the adversary? I want to say that he is not a myth. 
He is real and He is in real time. He is in your life and He is in my life. He is around us. He is in your today and He will be in your tomorrow. And if we do not learn to unveil, again, He blinds the minds of unbelievers. I believe He can distort even our, our, our sense of perception. If we are not careful, we will be sucked in. And as we enter into this six-week series, I can only tell you and only call you, please, 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 ask God to remove the blinders of what is going on really around us in our lives. I would encourage you, we're having actually during the, the services, we've started it today. If you want to be a part of it, we encourage you to see Pete Frenfrock. We want you to be a part of a prayer team that's praying during all three of our services. If you have flexible time, go and be a part of our prayer team that's praying right now in our offices, that's praying for you. We need prayer warriors. I want to encourage you some of the things that we're going to talk about, you're going to walk out of here and not agree with, or you're going to have struggles with and in your own life, in your own marriage. You'll have temptations during the next six weeks to stop coming, to not come, or whatever else may happen in your life. I want to challenge you, don't go there. Be a part of a body life group that's signing up right now. This is not commercial time. This is the reality that I need people around me who will pray for me and I can pray for them. The reality is that Satan is real and he is heavily involved in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 says, in, in the order that Satan might outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. My challenge, my goal in this entire series is to hopefully remove the advantage that Satan has taken over many Christians to outwit us, to outscheme us. And that if we could understand His schemes and ways, that we might be able to see how He is at work in my life, in my family, in my job, in my church, in my reality of where I am today. You have in your uh, staple to your bulletin a sweet tart. Because I want you to, the entire message, you can suck on your two sweet tarts, if you will. But I want you, the entire series, to think of Satan as the original Sweet tart. He's, he comes across very sweet. He comes across as an angel of light. But you need to understand, he's about to bite. I originally called this message, Beauty That Bites. Because the way he comes into our lives, and the way he influences us, is one of very much subtlety, and very much beauty, and very much enticing. If we are not careful, we will be sucked in. Find, take your Bibles and find the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And let us just begin to unpack the schemes, the ways, the methodologies of Satan in our world and in our lives that we might be aware. Isaiah and Ezekiel give us the downfall of Satan. And I think there's no better place to start than to just go into this series and to begin to understand it from a portrait kind of way, from some, some broad stroke portraits, profiles of Satan so that we can understand who he is and where he originated from. And if you look at Isaiah and if you look at Ezekiel, and we'll spend most of our time in, Ezekiel, in Isaiah today, but if you look at these two passages of Scriptures, you can see the literal downfall of two kings, a Babylonian king and Tyre, the prince of Tyre. But in the same time, as, as, as many of David's writings in the Psalms spoke of his own suffering, also was prophetic to speak 
of the sufferings of the coming Messiah. They had a double meaning. So we look at these passages and we see a double meaning. Yes, they speak to a king in Babylon. And yes, they speak to a king, a, a prince of Tyre. But also they are speaking of the fall of Satan. And if we could understand his origin and his fall and what ended up being his downfall, then maybe we can see and understand how he would work in our life. And we've got to understand him, who he was in the beginning, and he was Lucifer. Son of the morning star is his name. His name is one of light, is one of appearance, is one of beauty, is one of elegance. And, and we need to understand and unpack that a little bit. And so I want to give you five areas, five profiles of Satan today that just began to, to formulate in your mind that he's not a fictitious character, he's not a symbol of evil, but he is real, he is active, he is on planet earth, he is in your family and around your family, he is in your life and around your life. This is not to generate fear, this is to bring us to reality. Can we appreciate the difference? Because at every message I will speak of victory, and hopefully you will live in that victory. If I was just trying to create fear, I would not speak of victory. But I do want to speak realistically and to say that, folks, it's time to stop ignoring Him, as my temptation is so often. And it's time to look at Him very realistically. First of all, I want you to see a photo of Satan. Not a literal photo, but a photo that if there was a camera taken in that day, you would find that he is tall, dark, and handsome. I would say this, the devil wears Prada. He, he, he would be the most sharp-dressed individual. He would be every... If he were to walk in this room today in a physical form, he would be the most admired among men and the most adored among women. He would be charming. He would be attractive. He would be intelligent. He would be somebody as a man you would want to network with. And somebody as a single woman you would want to get to know better. That's the attractiveness that he is. Again, the sinister devil, he is behind. He is that artificial light, yes. But he appears, his appearance is very attractive. It's as, though, as one person has said, you can impress people at a distance, but you impact them up close. And he will impress your socks off. But as sure as He impresses you, as you get close to Him, as you come into Him, as you listen to Him, as you yield your life to Him, He will impact you at a totally new level. In verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 14 is where we'll begin reading today. And again, we'll just look at a few verses, but these verses I think will, you will begin to see the fall of Satan. And you see it first all in verse 12. He says, now you are fallen from heaven. Now this is not speaking of the, the Babylonian king. You can see that there's no way that the Babylonian king would have fit this kind of description. So there's a double meaning going on here. And here he is speaking of Satan. He says, you have fallen from heaven. O day star, son of dawn. Does that sound sinister to you? Sounds beautiful to me. O star, O son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. We need to understand Lucifer as he was in his original form and as he can be today to this very day. He can be very, extremely 
attractive in his sinister, malign, evil deceptiveness. Ezekiel, again, I think we need to compare these passages because there's 14 different parallels between Isaiah and Ezekiel. So you've got to understand them together when you're studying the origin of Satan, the adversary. But in in Ezekiel, turn over a couple of books. Go to your right. You'll find next the book of Jeremiah, next the book of Lamentations. And then after Lamentations, you'll find the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 28, This is how Ezekiel describes him. Again, speaking of the king of Tyre, but also speaking of Satan. You are a signet of perfection. Doesn't sound too flawed to me. Full of wisdom. Doesn't sound too stupid to me. And perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. The garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. He glowed, you might say. Sardis, topaz, diamond, uh, beryl, uh, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle or whatever that is. I'm sure it's a beautiful stone. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. This is, this is the sinister Satan that we look at, but he is very beautiful and very attractive. The model of perfection, perfect in beauty, the Bible refers to him. Not as a repulsed in his presence, we would be drawn into his presence. And that is the, the temptation that we face in our world today. And the reality that we must wake up to is that the first bite is very enticing. I can tell you early on in my young calling to ministry was in my junior year in high school when a friend of mine introduced me to another friend. And I will tell you from time to time throughout this series of messages different things about this encounter. But I will also protect this person because this person still lives in northwest Arkansas. And we're friends. But my first encounter with demonization caught me completely off guard. I was in 11th grade. I just surrendered to the ministry and felt God's call on my life in the 10th grade. And so up until that point, I had flunked. If you can flunk Sunday school, I flunked it, okay? So, and I had somebody come to me and bring this friend to me that was experiencing the presence of a demon. At that time, she did not see it as a demon. She saw it as God. This God figure in her life was present in her life, was a beautiful presence of her life. She was a beautiful angel. She referred to her as God in her journals, and I have copies of her journals as she wrote and would speak to this demon. And as she would write to this demon and talk to her as God, and and the the demon would bring her berries when she was hungry and would, would come in beautiful robes of purple, her favorite color, so who else better to come in? But she was very beautiful and very enticing. And she talked to her and she prayed to her and she communed with her. But there was something in her spirit that said there's something not right about this. So via a friend, we get connected. And in my uneducated way, all I knew was what the Bible showed about demonization. And so we began to pray together. 
And we prayed a lot together. And we shared a lot together. And I invited her to the youth ministry. And I told my pastor about it. And it was one of those things that I just was seeking counsel from every source. But the irony is, is that this beautiful lady who fed her berries, who wore purple dresses in her, in her, in her life, protected her from the evil out there. Evil, I quote. As soon as she started hanging around me, and as soon as she started coming to church, and as soon as she started praying, took on a totally different form and began to feed her, in a sense, ways that made her sick in her stomach, and other demons began to come around her. It was a very dark moment, but when light exposes darkness, darkness must flee. And as I tell you that, not as sensationalism. In fact, I have never shared it in 20-something years of ministry this publicly. But I share it with you today to say that Satan comes in a very beautiful fashion. Be very, very aware of that. If you were to see a photo of him, you would call him tall, dark, and handsome. Number two is you need to understand his perspective. There's no place like the top. He wants you on the top. In fact, I'll tell you this right now. Satan wants you successful. Now, there's nothing wrong with success, right? That's what I would say. That's what you would say. But Satan really wants you successful. He wants you climbing the ladders. He wants you at the top. He wants you at the top of your game. He wants you to look at yourself with utter, just amazing amount of confidence and arrogance, maybe even about you, that you can walk into the room and the whole temperature of the room changes. Just a, you exude success. People want to come around you in your success. What we have to be careful about in our success that our success does not become our greatest failure. Be careful that your success does not become your greatest failure. Max Dupree, author and chairman of, and CEO of Herman Miller Corporation, said it like this, Leaders are fragile precisely at the point of their strengths, liable to fall at the height of of their success. He wants you successful. Successful without Him. Without God, excuse me. He wants you to see in and of yourself that you can and you will and you, you can become all that you want to become because you are the man. He wants you on top. Because if you're on top and you know you're on top because you got yourself on top, then you don't need God. Look again at Isaiah and notice that five different times Satan says of himself, I will. I will ascend to the heaven. Verse 13. Above the stars of God. I will set my, my throne on high. I will sit on the mountain of the assemblies in the, in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights and the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Now, none of us would be so bold in our, in, our, in our vocabulary today in this building to say, look at what I've done. But we believe it in our heart, don't we? Beware that we don't develop the same perspective that Satan does. Because back in that Ezekiel passage, in Ezekiel 28, 17, it says, Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. You corrupted your wisdom. You were wise. You were perfect. You were all-knowing. You, you were not all-knowing. You were, you were an angelic archangel, Lucifer. But you corrupted it for your splendor. 
you know what? We may promote ourselves and grow ourselves and become something quite successful in ourselves. And then God may say, you can have it. Be careful that we don't take on the perspective of Satan. You think about Adam and Eve. Think about Adam. He had the best job on earth. He had two jobs given to him. In a perfect world, in a perfect place, with God walking with him in the cool of the evening. Perfect, 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 perfect. He had two jobs. One, name all the animals. Two, make babies. He was a wildlife expert. He was a wildlife expert in the field, but he's also a wildlife man at home. I mean, that's really what his job was. Multiply the earth, but also name all the animals. That was what his job was. But yet in that it wasn't enough. In that the temptation comes in the Garden of Eden that you can become like God. Did you catch the last phrase of what Satan himself felt about himself? In verse 14, I, I will make myself like the Most High. When we think and we live in such a way that we do not need God, we don't need to pray, we don't need Scripture, we don't need other believers, we don't. And the thing is, is that's practical atheism in our modern day. We are living like the devil. I also want you to see, though, his power. Not only his perspective, not only his portrait, but also his power. His power is real, but limited. You have heard of the Chinese Tao Chai symbol, the, the yin and the yang symbol. That symbol represents this cosmic dualism between, um, between good and evil. And there's a lot of people that believe in a dualism even in our Western American world that really there's evil out there and there's, there's good out there and God's on the good side and, evil's on the, and the devil's on the bad side. And if and if we can just get on the good side, then the good will over. If we can get enough weight over here, then we can then we can then we can beat and conquer the evil one. I want to tell you today that in itself is a deceptive twisting of the truth that Satan so subtly does. Twisting of the truth, even dualism. The fact that there's good and evil battling against each other. I want to say that God is sovereign today, and that it's not good and evil battling against each other. It may be the good and evil of our own heart, but good has prevailed. And He prevailed from day one. Now the question is, is whose side are we going to follow? Whose life are we going to bow our life to? Because if you look again back at Ezekiel 28 and verse 13, He points out clearly to Satan, though you're beautiful, though you fell from the Garden of Eden, He says, you were created. To be created means you have to have a creator. It's the Hebrew word bara there, to be created. And the only time bara is ever used, it's used to refer, God is always the subject of that, of that word. God created Satan. God created me. God created you. And just as He created Lucifer, and Lucifer chose his path so we can choose our path. But we must be very careful that we do not fall into the lie that, oh, this time evil prevailed only because we allow it to prevail. Because God is omnipresent, Satan is not. God is omniscient, Satan is, which is all-knowing. God, Satan is not. God is omnipresent everywhere at one time, and Satan is not. He requires... And you're going to learn this, especially in the last message of the series, and it's going to be very important that you get it now. 
is that Satan cannot be everywhere at once. He has a third of the angels that fell with him, and he has so structured them and organized them that he has planned them out. And he is not all powerful, but don't, lest you, lest you walk out of here deceived, he is powerful. And he is organized, and he does have a plan, and he does have a method about what he is doing. And that's why, as I said in the very beginning, he outwits us because we don't understand his schemes, as we read in 2 Corinthians. Because if you look in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 6, he has a hierarchy. In Revelation 2, he has a throne. In Matthew 12, 26, he has a kingdom. In Revelation 2, 9, he speaks of his assemblies. Satan is quite organized and quite manipulative, and he has a lot of control on this earth. And that's what we must be aware of and to identify that. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now let me say, tell you this, that if you haven't figured out, I'm going to throw so many verses at you over the course of the next six weeks that you better have a pen and a paper and you better have your Bible ready. Because you don't need to take the word of Mike McDaniel. You need to take the word of God. And I'll say that in some kind of piety, but I have gone through this for no less than four months studying this intently, trying to draw out every Scripture that is in Scripture that deals with the adversary. And one of the things that we're going to bring out is I'm going to bring out as many, and I'm going to throw as many as you as I can. And this is one we cannot walk away from. I want you to read it with me. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Read it again. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Not one political party, not one political system is absent from his control and his influence. But I also told you this, that we do not need to live in fear, though that is a reality, though Satan has power, we also have 1 John 4, 4 to promise us this. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Let's read that together. Greater is He who is in you than he that is in the world. He has control over the entire world. He is throughout all the systems of the world. He is influencing every government, every nation, every people, every, everywhere. But if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and this is the promise that I make to you through this series, is that we will talk about, not we will learn about not just how to... to, to Look forward to victory in heaven someday. And Satan is vanquished. But we can live in victory today. And if every day we can come and we can rise up every morning and we can realize every morning that we are in a battle and it is real and it is personal. But we can be victorious. And if we're willing to get into that battle and fight, we can win the battle of our own spirits. I want to speak of His plan. The plan of the adversary is quite clear. To take you captive. He wants to take you and me captive. Make no bones about it. You should feel like chum today. (laughs) Seriously. You should feel like chum Demonic chum that is being bitten at, snipped at, prowled about, smelt out, sniffed out, sought out, 
in every way imaginable. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says it like this, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He doesn't care who it is. He's coming after you eventually. But he is just looking for the weakling. He is looking for the one who, who is listening to the twists and the turns of the philosophies of the day in which we live. Verse 17 in Isaiah says it like this, He says, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities and did not let his prisoners go home. He wants you to be a prisoner. He wants to take you captive. Next week we're going to talk about the battle, the personal battles that we face day in and day out and how we must realize that his number one aim in life is to take you captive. And he's fine with taking you inch by inch. Millimeter by millimeter, as long as He can continue to get into your life and to hold you prisoner. Again, not fear, but reality is what I seek to raise here today. One of the realities of our day and age and the twistings of truth is that of pluralism, that of relativism, that of idea that all truths are equal or no truth really matters. All, 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 we just all got to get along. And there's a lot of truth to getting along. We just all got to agree. We all just got to just accept one another. The, the, the subtlety of that, you just do what you want to do and you just do what feels good. And again, if we could just take that vein, take that, that, that philosophy, we're going to be right in line with his captivity. Stepping right in line with that. We have this philosophy, and you know what I'm going to say. If it feels good, what? Do it. It pervades our culture. You want a new car? Go get a new car. You want this? Go get it. Whatever. Go get it. Go get it. It's yours for the taking. Realize this, that in Judges 21-25, this is the same philosophy Satan's been using for years. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Satan has 22 different names in the Bible. I give you them quickly. Accuser, Revelation 12. Zechariah 3, adversary, slander in 1 Peter 5, king of death in Hebrews 2, 14, tempter in Matthew 4, deceiver in Revelation 20, prince of the world in John 12, 31, murderer and liar in John 8, 44, ruler of darkness in Ephesians 6, the dragon in Revelation 12, enemy in Matthew 13, roaring lion in 1 Peter 5, 8, and this is only half of his names. He's real. And he's really after us. Stu Weber, a former Green Beret, turned pastor, makes this statement in his book, Spirit Warriors. He said, Every Christian is a walking battlefield. Every believer carries deep within himself a terrible conflict. And most of us will gravitate to anything that will help us win the battle. Call it the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Call it the quest for a victorious Christian life. Call it what you want. But it's flat out, knock down, drag out, war. And when it's over, you want to be among those who are standing. The dragon wants to slay us. Let me give you a... I'm going to put myself out here. I'm going to do a survey real quickly. How many in this room know somebody personally 
And this is just one area, one little domain that Satan gets in and he says, if it feels good, do it. One little, you can multiply it to infinity. But how many of you all know somebody personally who either in the past or in the present reality right now has been married and is living in an extramarital relationship, either in the past or in the present? Would you raise your hand? Just about everybody knows somebody who has been there. Who's to say you won't be next? He is coming for you. See, it won't happen to me. I'm strong in that area. Here's a verse for you out of the message. First Corinthians 10:12 says, "Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easy as anyone else." The reality is, is that he is coming after us as a dragon, as an accuser, as a deceiver, as a murderer, whatever form he needs to come in to take us captive. But I want to leave you with the final portrait of of the devil that you can't miss, and that's his punishment. Because it doesn't end just there. It's eternal damnation is where his punishment is leaves him. And in verse 18 and 19, all the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. If you're really a king, you're going to have a glorious, beautiful tomb. But you are cast out away from your grave like a loathed branch, clothed and slain and pierced by the sword. And you go down to the stones of the pit like a dead body trampled underfoot. One of the greatest tragedies in the Jewish culture is not to have a proper burial. And if you're truly a king, if you're truly going to be like the Most High, you're going to have one of the most beautiful burials imaginable. But God says here through the prophet Isaiah, He said, you won't even have a grave. You will be trampled underfoot. Satan will fall ultimately to an eternal damnation. And listen, my friend, I want to tell you this today is glorious news is that when God created hell, and yes, I do believe in a literal burning eternal hell, too. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm busting all the bubbles if you thought I was just some kind of wacky guy or whatever, contemporary guy. But I'll tell you this. He did not create hell for you and I. God created hell for the demons and Satan. And it says in first, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it said, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. My friend, today, I do not believe that God created hell for one person in this room. But the reality is, is if we do not come in line with Jesus Christ, we are in line with Satan. That's just all there is to it. There is no gray to that. John 3.16 is probably one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world, say it with me, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. We love that verse. Whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting... You read the two verses later. 
Read John 3.18 when you get home. Those who believe are not condemned, but those who have not believed are condemned already. I'm afraid our children grow up in a condemned state. I'm afraid adults live their life in a condemned state until they come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if I could say anything to you as the band comes back up here, is I have one urgent appeal for you today. It's not to walk out of here in fear. It's not for you to walk out of here with some sensational story about Mike's encounter with demonizations. Demonization. But it's to make sure you are in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Because His deception is that no, you are good enough in and of yourself. You are powerful in and of yourself. You are beautiful in and of yourself. The same lies that He's come to. You need to be rescued. Real simple. I would say to you today is When Jesus died on the cross, He was saying, I'm here to rescue you. For the the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. To those who are being saved, it's the power of God. If you know Jesus, you know Him through the cross. And if you don't know Jesus through the cross and that repentance of your life to Him, I would pray today that you would come and you would just kneel here as this band sings. And you could kneel there and you can come tell me, I'll be standing right here, and you can just come say, Mike, I'm following Jesus today. No more religious games. No more persona. No more about me and what I will do, about what God, who God is and what God wants to do through me. I want to give my life to Him. This is one of those good old-fashioned altar calls. Father God, this is Your time. We are Your people. Rescue us, Lord, from the jaws. Satan, but also, Lord, rescue us from ourselves. When we think in our pride and our arrogance, we can do it without you. Rescue us, Lord. Rescue us.